Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. Listen up. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high. Hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as per usual, is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle Senior NFL Draft Analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Man, hey, Thanksgiving, obviously, yesterday, great day for everybody. How was your day yesterday going into Thanksgiving with your with your family and everybody? Uh, it's been a long, like, 48 hours. Um, having turkey day at our place, we had to do some cleaning beforehand, getting everything set up. Then, uh, fortunately, I was able to scrounge my way out of doing any of the cooking. But uh, it was a good day spending time with family, playing games and everything, and then been up since 3 a.m. today, which was nice after going to bed about midnight last night. Yeah. Rather exhausted here, but uh, it was a good day. I hope uh, everybody in the chat had a good day yesterday as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was, you know, it was great for me. It was great for me and my family. We, uh, Samantha and I did our uh, very first Thanksgiving at our house. So we invited her parents over, uh, did two turkeys, um, all the fixings. We had more food than I know what to do with. Like you can't put anything else in our refrigerator now. And in fact, if anybody wants some leftovers, please send me an address and I will send it to you. So that way you can eat it because I'm not sure that we're going to be able to, but uh, no, it was a great day. Um, I had a, a really good time talking with her, with my father-in-law, Tony. Um, he's a big uh, giant. Miami Dolphins fan, um, but he's just a knowledgeable guy. Um, grew up in the 70s. Uh, watched a whole. He's a, a football historian of sorts, um, and really likes to talk football. So we had a really good day yesterday, uh, just shooting the shooting the bull and and having fun, eating a whole bunch of food, drinking a couple too many beers, and then this morning I really didn't want to go to work, but. Uh, no, we're, we're here. We're having fun. It was, a, it was a great day. And again, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there in Broncos country. Listen up, Broncos country. Tick Pick should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. Tick Pick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Huddle Up podcast and the Blue Wire Network. Denver Broncos football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Broncos tickets anymore because Tick Pick, that's T I C K P I C K, is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go to for all NFL tickets. Tick Pick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, Tick Pick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, guys. When we were searching for tickets for the MHH meet and greet for week three at home, Broncos versus Jets, Tick Pick had us locked down. So visit TickPick.com slash huddle today and use the promo code huddle to save $10 on your first order of Broncos tickets. Well, but uh, anyways, guys, with that, 
Broncos coming off a bye this week. We uh, obviously had some big news last week on the show with Tim Patrick signing his uh, three-year extension. Then shortly after that, Cortland Sutton signed a four-year extension. I believe that was on Monday. But this week, they're going in back into Empower Field at Mile High Stadium. They're going to be taking on the Los Angeles Chargers, who are currently one game ahead of them in the standings in the AFC West. So, Eric, this is a big get-right game for the Broncos. They went in. They did some self-scouting. They did some self-appreciation and stuff like that. Really dove into the tape, it sounds like, from what Vic Fangio was saying got some critical analysis on the, their own football team. What it, to you is the biggest key to this game and what the Broncos need to do to be able to sneak away with a victory against the Chargers this week? Run the ball, control the clock, and limit the big plays. I mean, the Chargers, their offense is a interesting offense because it doesn't fully utilize Justin Herbert to the max. But looking at their defense, they're going to be without Asante Samuel Jr., and they are the worst rushing defense in the NFL. Mm -hmm. They are absolutely terrible. And when I was turning on and watching their tape earlier this week, it was just a mess to watch it. Um, Kenneth Murray, that linebacker they took in the first, um, what was it, last year? Yeah, last year. Um, he's just all over the place and not in a good way. Um, I mean, somehow managed to look almost as bad as Devin Bush. But, uh, yeah, just got to run the ball. And with that, if you're going to run the ball, obviously you got to be able to ball security. That's a big deal. Melvin Gordon, he's had a couple fumbles this year. Javante Williams only has one credited fumble. And then he also had that one that was uh, ended up not being called the fumble against Washington football team as well. Um, so you got to be able to run the ball and do so with security and everything. Plus, it helps take the ball out of Teddy Bridgewater's hands because, quite frankly, if he's throwing a lot, it's not a good sign. Um, so you need the defense to help keep it close and just limit, have him really go to a point where you can limit the mistakes from Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a bunch of statistical analysis on Teddy Bridgewater. And Eric, again, had a wonderful piece specifically for Teddy Bridgewater um, on third down and his high completion percentage, but low conversion percentage that aired last week as well at Mile High Hill. Make sure you guys go check that piece out if you get the opportunity to. But uh, just going even further into that, uh, I believe it's when he throws more than 30 times in a football game, uh, his winning percentage plummets like over 35%. It's just absolutely terrible. When he's asked to throw the ball, as many times as, as the Broncos have been asking him to do so here recently, it's been not good uh, over the course of his entire career. I mean, this is something that we've all known for about Teddy Bridgewater for multiple single, multiple years now. And, to me, Eric, I 100% agree with you. This this Chargers running defense is not good. They're down to absolutely zero interior defensive linemen from the sound of it. I mean, Linval Joseph was the last guy that they had. He got hurt this last week. Sounds like they're starting to rotate in Joey Bosa, their, the, the prolific edge rusher. They played him at five and three technique this last week where he's getting, you know, uh, they, like, that's a great opportunity for this Broncos defense or uh, Broncos offensive line to start using some power, run some duo, run some ISO, uh, attack Joey Bosa. If he slides to the interior of the, of the, uh, the interior of the defensive line, they can definitely exploit that and make a, they take a big advantage. I mean, they've got Javante Williams, who's been playing really well. He has a high explosive run rate, but um, it's a high stuff rate as well, which is kind of weird. Um, Melvin Gordon is the most consistent guy, but he's running it. I think it's like 4.6 or 4.7 yards per clip right now. So uh, the, the, this Broncos offense, they really have to focus on the running game. Um, I got some more statistics for you here as well. Um, in terms of the football outsiders metric, the DVOA, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what that's what that is. Um, the the at, what the acronym is, I think it's uh, 
I, I can't remember. Anyways, uh, DVOA ranking, uh, the Chargers run defense is 5.2%, which is the 32nd ranked unit in the NFL. Um, they've allowed the uh, second most total rushing yards, uh, 1451 total on the ground. Uh, they're averaging 4.7 yards per carry allowed. That's this tied for the second worst uh, percentage in, in the NFL. Um, they have eight plays of 20 plus yards or more allowed. That's tied for the third worst, uh, 13 total rushing touchdowns allowed. That's also tied for the third worst, but where it gets even worse for this chargers defense. Um, and something that again, this Broncos offense definitely needs to exploit is rushing first downs allowed. The chargers are by far the worst team in the NFL in terms of rushing first downs allowed. They've allowed 90 plays, uh, 90 rushing plays that have gone for a first round. That is seven more than the, the second most allowed. And that's the Detroit Lions with 83. Um, their rushing first down percentage is also the worst in the NFL. It's tied with the worst with the Green Bay Packers at 29.2 uh, rushing first down percentage. So I mean, if you're going to attack this this Chargers team, that's the best way to do it. On the ground, control the clock, keep Justin Herbert off the field. Yeah, I mean, and the biggest reason why you want to keep them off the field, as I kind of hinted at earlier, is the Broncos have such an issue with explosive plays. And the Chargers, they do all right getting explosive plays. And you just kind of you, you want to keep them off the field and limit that. And you want to hope that uh, that offensive coordinator, the name escapes me at the moment, keeps playing to this really crappy offense that just does not fit Justin Herbert. Like it's so frustrating watching it. I like Justin Herbert when he came out of school and it's just mind boggling that they're not using him to the best that he, uh, that what he can do. But I mean, even looking beyond this game, the need to really have a focus on the running game goes beyond it. Um, not only do they face the 32nd in rush DVOA in the chargers, they also face the 25th in Kansas city and, two games against both those they mm -hmm. face the 29th in detroit i mean the raiders and the Bengals. they both have different decent run defenses but their passing defenses can be are in the bottom half so um with the the cincinnati passing dvoa being 19th and the raiders being 23rd um, so you definitely kind of want to have this focus on the running game for at least five of the last seven games and one thing too is that um Las Vegas, the Chargers, and Detroit, their defense defenses are pretty stable with their performances. They're not such a high variance of a unit like we see with the Denver Broncos with what happened against the Dallas Cowboys, then going to the Eagles game. They are pretty pretty consistent with their poor play week in, week out. And that's something that the Broncos, hopefully that this coaching staff can see. Hope, hopefully the players can go out there and execute and the, the coaches can um, make a game plan to attack this. It's just got to be a, uh, a it's got to be a step up from everybody involved to help this offense get better because it's not just one issue, especially this year. It's not just one problem. It's so many. A lot of execution. Interior offensive line has been rather problematic. Mm -hmm. The play of the tackles against the Eagles was complete was just abysmal. Yeah, um, which it's really concerning that we might be without Bobby Massey and Garrett Bowles again yep. this week with um, Garrett Bowles needing. Um, still testing positive, and then Bobby Massey having a, I believe, a minor setback with his ankle injury today. And Calvin Anderson and Cameron Fleming were absolutely destroyed by the, against the Eagles.
Yeah, they looked a lot better against Dallas in the in the game in uh, the game in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. They were Fleming filled in for Massey. Uh, I can't remember when it exactly was. I think it was midway through the second quarter was when Massey went down. Um, Fleming actually looked pretty decent, and he. I thought I was like, you know what, this this might be a guy. This might be a guy the Broncos can develop and and keep going. And they, I mean, there's at least some potential there. But this last week, he was or uh, two weeks ago, excuse me, was just absolutely terrible. Let's say hello to everybody in the chat here before we move on here, guys. Um, Andrew Baker, Facebook superstar. I want to say super chat superstar, but Facebook superstar. Uh, met him in Denver at the game against the New York Jets. He was at the Mile High Huddle meetup. Uh, he says, good evening, Lance, Eric, and Scott, my brethren. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. But what's our key to beat these Chargers? Man, you joined the right podcast because we're actually talking about that right now. Um, thanks for, for joining us, Andrew. We appreciate you, buddy. We appreciate the stars there as well. Uh, let's see. We've got Lawrence Rivera as well jumping in here saying what's up if this team would stay healthy it would be fire yes absolutely uh travis weber as well um we've got james koch the desert creature over on youtube side of things we've got uh michael ronquillo as well jumping in on facebook we've got um let's see here todd ostendorf mark lindemood um what's going on guys how we doing thank you all for joining the dove valley deep divers podcast um guys speaking of speaking of stars donation we actually hit the goal um chad wanted me to explicitly get this guys into you um we hit the goal for the uh um for the stars donations giveaway and randy jones was fortunate enough to be the winner of that a, a jersey of his choice um and I know Chad had said something about doing a secondary giveaway if we hit our goal by the 15th. However, we didn't actually do that. Uh, there was That uh, was accomplished on the 17th of this month. So uh, in being good sports on uh, on this whole thing, uh, Mile High Hill is going to be giving away some care packages to a handful of some lucky uh, stars so donators over on Facebook. So, guys, if you want to do- donate some stars, we appreciate that. It's not unnecessary for me anyways. But if you guys donate some stars, you're going to be entered into some giveaways. We'll give you guys some, some cool Mile High Huddle merch. I'm, I'm guessing some stuff uh, from every single podcast and stuff like that. Uh, get back with Chad and Zach on Sunday as well, uh, the, the, which they will be, or uh, I believe Sunday or Monday, they'll be uh, announcing some of the winners of the uh, the random merch merch tank giveaways. So yeah, guys, uh, we appreciate everybody here joining us here tonight. Um, now, Eric, I want to get kind of back, jump right back into it here. Something that you had you had said as far as limiting the opportunities and ball control, um, clock control, and stuff like that. Something I wanted to talk about here specifically is this Chargers offense and just how explosive it is. They're the number six passing offense in the NFL. Justin Herbert's been playing amazing football, 2,804 yards total passing. Um, they're at 22 total passing touchdowns. Um, and let's see if there was something else I had there. I can't remember. Anyways, um, but the, the way that they're doing it, obviously, they're with a huge explosive plays, they're doing it at an incredibly fast time of pace. Like it's and it's incredible. I heard a statistic the other day on the radio that on on scoring drives, the Chargers offense has the shortest scoring drive time of possession in the NFL. That means they're getting explosive plays, they're pushing the ball down the field, and they're putting up points in a very, very fast hurry. Picture something like what Chip Kelly did at UCLA, where the, like the time of possession with the offense was just so incredibly short, and they were always coming away with points. Now, to kind of elaborate on that, uh, their average time of possession on every drive, I don't have the scoring drives here, this is just average time of possession on every single drive, is two minutes and 50 seconds. That's only 14th in the NFL, right? Doesn't sound that great. However, on those drives, their average plays per drive is 6.45. That's number two in the NFL. So they're running sustained long drives. They're averaging 37.9, so almost 38 yards per drive. That's the third highest figure in the NFL. And they're averaging 2.58 points per drive. That's the fourth highest total in the NFL. 
this team, they're sustaining drives offensively. They're running the ball fairly decently. Uh, seventh in terms of yards per uh, yards per attempt rushing, 4.6 total uh, for the entire team. Eric, is it like, am I insane for saying that the, the obviously it, it goes without speaking, but uh, the easiest way to really limit this Chargers team is by making sure that you run the ball and control the clock and don't let Justin Herbert get the football in his hands? Yeah, I mean, it just goes with that explosive push. You don't want to have it. And I mean, it just goes beyond Justin Herbert as well. You're keeping Austin Eckler on the sideline as well, yeah. which is funny because he just had four touchdowns against the Steelers, which is as many as he's had in seven career games against the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Um, it goes to show how bad Devin Bush was. And, you know, just, just saying that Denver won that trade back in 2019. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I, I digress a little bit. Um, Austin Eckler, he's a big reason why the that offense can be so explosive. Yeah. Um, Keenan Allen and Williams as well. I mean, they just got a lot of good talent, great talent on that offense. And Justin Herbert's there to maximize it. And while the offense has its issues because of the play caller, uh, because of Joe Lombardi, I mean, keep him on sideline. I mean, you're just giving him more issues because then they can't just turn to those explosive plays. But the issue is, is when they do get the ball back, because it will happen, um, you just got to be more consistent on the back end and not give up these busted coverage or bad plays in coverage that the Broncos have been doing pretty consistently all season long with maybe the minus the, um, uh, the game against um, the Cowboys. They didn't really have those big issues on the back end. Um, not counting. I mean, even the Jaguars and the Giants game, they had those issues on it. Um, so, I mean, just got to, play consistently and that's been as i said that's been an issue with this defense so want to see that get better yeah absolutely um we we saw it against the ravens we saw it against the steelers we saw it um against uh what was that other deep touch the raiders multiple multiple times um the the deep touchdowns miscommunications on the back end of the secondary um it's it's a philosophical change we talked about it last week just a little bit but going into it even further this is the most man coverage that any Vic Fangio defense has played in the entire tenure of his coaching career in the NFL like it's it's not what Vic Fangio typically runs and Eric I know you have a great theory about why that is and it goes specifically to a pair of players in the secondary I'll let you kind of elaborate on that I don't want to spoil any names uh what specifically about this Broncos defense and the personnel that they have is leading Vic Fangio to have them running more man coverage cover one uh, cover one free and stuff like that is that what's that specific issue that you, that you see at least in your opinion well I mean um there were a couple big issues with Ronald Darby when they brought him in. He hasn't really played a lot of zone throughout his career. It's he's been mostly man, and coming into match quarters, which is predominant and Vic Fangio's predominantly zone defense, there was a little bit of problems there. I mean, he just doesn't seem to when he has played zone over his career, he doesn't seem to have a natural feel for it. And one of the biggest things with Patrick Sertan when before he was drafted by far more people than myself, I know a lot of people will just jump on that I didn't like him and all this stuff like that um, was. Um, the awareness and the um, change of direction skills and the other aspects that are needed to work in um, zone coverage. And so they're play- playing them closer to the line of scrimmage and they're playing them in man to help limit those mistakes a little bit. So it, there's a, and, and that's just in coverage. There's some issues on the front, the front end as well. That's not stereotypical big banjo defensive stuff. Um, and that very well could be a large part of what's going on with this defense. Hard to say for sure without being in the building and, and knowing a lot of stuff, just having to go off of stuff that I'm hearing, what I'm able to put together by watching tape and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, when you have 
a bunch of square you have a couple square pegs and you have a bunch of trial triangle pegs and you're trying to all fit them in the square the square hole like there's going to be issues there so and that just seems to be what the broncos are it's why they're having so many issues um one of the biggest ones and a lot of people notice is that justin simmons typically plays better farther off the line of scrimmage but they're using kareem jackson who's slower in coverage and a little bit later to with his reactions um on, on the deep wall, they're pulling Justin Simmons up closer to the line of scrimmage. And that's very different from what they were doing last year and basically complete opposite, um, which is another aspect of the defense that just is such a weird, um, weird change from what we saw last year. Yeah, it, it, I definitely agree with you. And watching Kareem Jackson move backwards at this age is just atrocious. It's so bad. And, it, it, he's very clearly lost a step. And when he moves backwards, that's where he gets into a lot of trouble. He's that much better as a guy that's moving forward, striving on the football, going to make him big hits and big tackles. It's what he's always kind of been to begin with, even when he was back at Houston in Houston playing the cornerback position. He's just a big hitter that drives better vertically on the football and uses his big physical presence to kind of dominate some smaller guys. And, and even in, even against some bigger guys where he can hang and bang with, you know, some tight ends and everything. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy here of why are you putting him in a situation to fail while also putting another player in a situation to fail when you know exactly how to use them because it worked so well last year. Um, I guess the one thing I will say is at least Justin Simmons is still getting his hands on some footballs and has got interceptions in several of the last couple of games. So, I mean, it's working in some aspects, but for the most part, it's really not. Um, and yes, FC Donnelly actually coming in here is asking, isn't Jackson out for the game? Yes, he is. Um, I didn't see the exact extent of the injury, but that came out earlier today. Uh, uh, Kareem Jackson and Bobby Massey are both out this week. And that means going back to another question here from Peter Middleton, uh, if Anderson is starting on the uh, left-hand side, which it sounds like that could be a possibility with Garrett Bull still on the COVID list, not testing negative. Um, it be Cameron Fleming again, starting on the right-hand side. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely going to get a little bit interesting here. Now, I want to go into some specific matchups here, Eric. We're about 20 minutes into this discussion right now. Um, specific matchups for this, this Broncos team. Uh, who do they need to watch out for, uh, specifically on the offensive side of the football for the Chargers? Um, before I get to that, there was a question earlier that I wanted to grab from R. Okay. Powell. Just get it out of the way real quick. He said, I enjoyed the, the oh, yeah, yeah. three-round mock draft. Where did you get the tape on Tariq Woolen? Um, big fan of him. This is a guy that wouldn't shock me at all if he hears his name called um, far earlier day two instead of late round three like I had him. Um, there's actually a few... Um, oh, God, what is that site called now? Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of what it's called at the top of my head, but there's a few things I subscribe to. Patreons. There's a few Patreons that I subscribe to that put out um, tw- uh, college tape and everything like that for people who pay um, so I pay for a couple things like that. And there was quite a few games of Tariq Woolen. Um, he was, I was reading an article by Bruce Feldman that was following uh, Matt Nagy and the senior bowl staff. And on there, they're talking about Tariq Woolen and everything. And it really piqued my interest. So I went to the couple guys that I have for the tape and found some tape of it. And I'm pretty impressed with what he can bring, which is why I ended up having a mock there. Um, and real quick too is like mock drafts this early there's not about um the accuracy of it it's just about talk more so talking about positions of need trying to get that out there and just get player names out there like Tariq Woolen not very many people would know who he is at this point so it's nice to get his name out there um but anyways to answer your question uh, for me I mean outside of the quarterback position because 
going against Justin Herbert, obviously he's going to dominate the conversation of, of yeah. a guy to um, uh, see you uh, touch a caliber of quarterback that you got to kind of focus on and worry about. Um, but a uh, the other one, I mean, Austin Eckler with the Broncos issues that they've had stopping the run, like they've never allowed Austin Eckler over a hundred yards total from scrimmage. And that could change. And I think that he's predominantly had more receiving yards and rushing yards. Mm-hmm. And that could change. Um, this is a defense that's so beat up. Um, so many issues, consistency issues. Maybe they can hold they can hold him um, like they did against Dallas. I hope they do. But man, he's just a guy that a um he's just a guy that is uh, very concerning. Yeah, it's it's incredible here. I'm actually looking at the team statistics, and you've got obviously Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are the team's leading receiver, but sitting there number three with 405 total yards is is Austin Eckler. He's obviously he's also the team's leading rusher with 573 yards. So he's doing it both on uh, through the air and on the ground. Um, let's see, to, uh, total touchdowns. He's got seven rushing touchdowns. He's got six receiving touchdowns as well. Uh, second on the team behind Mike Williams there. I guess the biggest, the biggest one to me is a guy that you're going to kill me for saying this, but profile similarly to, to Cortland Sutton, as far as a big wide receiver that goes up and has the 50, 50 balls. That's actually starting to turn into a pretty decent damn wide receiver. Mike Williams on the outside, that guy's a dog. Like seriously, he had a he had a, a long touchdown catch. I believe it was against the Raiders the other day, uh, late down the stretch of that game. Um, it's a fifty-one yard touchdown with like two minutes left to go to take the lead. It was a huge, gigantic, massive play. This guy is a big catch radius guy. Um, very physical at the point of attack. Does a decent job run blocking. Like Mike Williams is is a scary matchup. He's quickly becoming one of the better. It, it, he's probably a lot like Tim Patrick, honestly. Uh, a low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two that can really cause some damage for for a for an opposing defense. Uh, and especially when you pair him with Keenan Allen on the other side of that, you got two big body possession receiver guys. Quite honestly, this Chargers offense, as far other than the running game, but as far as the the makeup and the build of the wide receivers that they like to use on a down to down basis, when Mike uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, they're built a lot very similarly to the Broncos, and it's just I wish that the, the Broncos could figure out a way to use them the way that Justin Herbert does because uh, I mean, man, if the Broncos had Cortland Sutton and Keenan Allen or and uh, um, Tim Patrick doing the things that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are doing, this offense would be humming, man. It really would be. Um, yeah, and Lawrence, I saw your question about me being a little stuffy. Uh, I'm good. I've been sick, and I've been having I've had a sinus cold or a head cold, and I'm down coming down from it. I'm also really tired. Um, so that's part of why I sound so stuffy and everything. It's just the illness and being exhausted. But I mean, yeah, Mike Williams, he is one to worry about. I think that he is a the right, the perfect matchup to really test Patrick Sertan. Yeah. Um, especially with letting um, Ronald Darby kind of handle the movement ability of Keenan Allen a little bit more. Um, so those, those are two matchups like they're worrisome, but I still worry so much more about Austin Eckler yeah. with him getting behind these linebackers because Baron Browning with his reaction reactions and awareness sometimes is a little iffy. And then Kenny Young, who's finding coverage if the play stays in front of him, but he can lose guys in coverage pretty often. And it's, we've seen it quite a bit uh, in his few games here. And that could be just so dangerous. Andrew Baker came in with some stars saying, Chargers always play close games, and we might need to come back this time. So throw in lock just for this game. LOL, since he made the comeback last year. Um, Hey, man, if if you're losing big and you need a spark, 
I'm fine with throwing in the backup quarterback. The thing is, is that it's just probably not going to happen. Um, I know that it's going to draw a lot of ire for Vic Mangio, deserved or not, not going to get into that. Teddy Bridgewater is his guy for the season, and that's not going to change unless Teddy Bridgewater cannot 100% play in the game because that was answered by playing him at 75% over Drew Locke um, against the Browns. Like That made it very clear that they, they will not turn to Drew Locke yeah. unless Teddy Bridgewater can't go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's what, 70, 75%, I believe, is what he said that he was going against the Browns a, a handful of weeks ago. And they still just trotted him out there and he looked terrible doing so. Like, it, it, but they are so staunch and set on Teddy Bridgewater is their guy. They're just going to continue, you know, trotting him out there, whether he's playing poorly or not. It's going to take an, an injury, a big injury, or maybe getting blown out by like 40. To, to get him on the field and this Chargers offense might be actually able to do that. However, I don't think so. We're going to get to that here in just a couple of minutes <laughs> here. Um, Todd asked if we could talk about Luke's article regarding potentially trading Jerry Judy next year. I'm not going to get into specifics oh, on uh, that. Jerry Judy won't be traded. Um, yeah, yeah. Luke was just putting out a possibility, an idea um, just because they extended to them. It's not happening. They didn't just, they didn't spend a first round pick on him to trade him after three years. Um, extending, Corlin Sutton and Tim Patrick doesn't mean anything for Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler in the immediate future. Two years from now, possibly when Denver has to make a decision with KJ Hamler off of his rookie deal, um, ending his rookie deal, and Tim Patrick being able to get out of his deal, that's when the decision comes. They won't trade one of these guys beforehand. I don't think so. And I, I think probably the only situation in which they do trade Jerry Judy is if they're going to trade for a, a a marquee quarterback and they're going to be looking for a young up and coming weapon that they can use um, to kind of sweeten the pot there a little bit. And Jerry Judy just seems to be like, obviously the guy that would be the the most popular one for someone to ask about would be him or like Pat Sertan. Um, and because former first round picks guys are playing really well as young as they are. Um, I also am with Eric on this one, the, the, the timing of the contracts for, um, Sutton and for Tim Patrick, both align with the, where KJ Hamler is coming off of his rookie deal. Uh, they'll still be able to make the, the fifth year option to Jerry Judy to keep him under contract. Uh, even the, the year after Tim Patrick's gone, uh, the last year, Cortland Sutton's new deal, Jerry Judy isn't going anywhere. If you had to trade one, which one would you choose though? This is a good question, Peter. Trade a receiver. Which one would I choose? Well, how about this? Let's yeah, uh, let's go. Even uh, under his deal, you can still trade him next year for a very minimal cap hit. By the way, yeah, it's yeah, not a well, it's not a cap it's not a cap killer situation if you trade him even before June first, right? Uh, Jerry Judy's is I actually I believe worse. I'd have to double check on that. Um, even though he just signed that Tim Patrick signed the extension. Yeah, there's exactly. Um, Denver would save money. Uh, against the cap, if they traded Tim Patrick, they wouldn't. If they traded Jerry Judy, it's actually possible to trade him because there's more guaranteed money, um, signing bonuses and stuff like that that slot in with the rookie wage scale that actually bumps cap hits up and stuff like that. Uh, Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton. Now, this might have changed. There might have been more information. I did look at this the other day because I it found I found it curious. Um, not really like a, a bad puzzling kind of thing. It was just like, wait a minute. That's not the way that I'm typically used to seeing these extensions work with, uh, with the Broncos because, and I, I put this in our group chat and Eric, um, I don't know if you agreed with what I said or not. Um, 
But uh, typically under John Elway, when they were extending their players, the guys that uh, that they wanted to bring back their homegrown talent and stuff like that, they typically John Elway typically gave them a signing bonus at the front end of the deal, then also dropped the uh, their salary, the, their first year salary down very close to the veteran minimum. Because what that does is that signing bonus actually gets prorated and attacked onto the uh, this the cap hit for the remaining years of the contract. However, when you do that, the player gets a big sum of money up front for signing the contract, obviously your signing bonus. Then that next season, they're playing on the veteran minimum. They're only making $750,000. So that drops the cap hit. So let's say it's a a 10-year or a a five-year deal um, for X amount of money, and the Bronco and uh, whoever it was got a $10 million signing bonus. So 10 divided by five, that's two. So 10 million over the five years is now prorated down to 2 million. The first year cap hit of the player that signed that deal would be $2.75 million based on the, the signing bonus and then the base salary of the player. And there could be some roster bonuses and stuff like that. That's the way that John Elway typically structured his deals on extensions and stuff like that. He actually got uh, Akib Tlaib with a $5 million signing bonus when he signed back in 2005. 15 or 14, whatever the, whenever he signed in in Denver, George Payton didn't give these guys signings, signing bonuses. And if they did, it came after I looked at it the other day. And if they also, they were very small because the, the cap numbers for these deals are very even. They're very fluent all the way through the structure of the contract. So there's not any backloading of the contract. There's not going to be a massive year of dead money at the end of the deal if they want to move on from somebody. So this is a great job by George Payton to change the philosophy by getting guys that he wants to bring in, um, guys that are homegrown talent that we're all so used to seeing walk away in free agency. So I'm I'm stoked with both of these deals. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot to be happy about it. They kept flexibility going forward. They didn't destroy their salary cap. They didn't put their salary, future salary cap at risk. They left themselves open to go make a play for a quarterback and not mm-hmm. be in such a hard spot to go make other moves either. It was just it was really good cap management by the Broncos cap guru and um, George Payton. Really, there's not much to complain about with them. Um, and one thing that they did, they went away from, was they did give a very small signing bonus, but a $3 million signing bonus to Tim Patrick specifically. Mm. And one of the reasons why that Denver could trade him after this year, I can't remember the exact date that it kicks in, but they gave him a seven, almost a $7 million roster bonus. So that's one of the factors as to why once that date hits, though, the ability to trade him for next year obviously changes a lot. But right, that, that's the big way to work. they worked around it. Um, which helps them roll over some more cap this year instead of unlike giving a bigger signing bonus would have actually hurt their ability to roll over more money. Right. And and that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you for the clarification on that. Like I said, I, I looked at the, uh, the, the Patrick and the Sutton deals, I believe it was Tuesday after I got off work. Um, and it, it just, it, it struck odd to me again. It was like, it's very curious. Um, something's different for me is not seeing a signing bonus attached to that. And the, the structure of the deals was, uh, just something different. And I, I thought it was uh, definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, James Koch, I think I believe is who it was, jumped in here and said that Denver would be stupid to trade a stockpile of picks and players for Aaron Rodgers. He's way too dang old. Now, I'm going to start this off really fast. First things first, I will still take Aaron Rodgers at 38 years old in a heartbeat. However, I agree with this comment. I really do. And the reason why, it's not that I won't accept Rodgers. If they want to go and get Aaron Rodgers, by God, please go and do it. We desperately need a high-quality quarterback. However... 
Aaron Rodgers, to me, was a this-year proposition. He needed to be in Denver in 2021 so you could take advantage of this young roster right now, uh, get him some acclimation time, really make a run at 2022 where the Broncos have a great Super Bowl window opening for the next five years. Now, that didn't happen, obviously. Aaron Rodgers is playing great football up in, in Green Bay. The one that I'm lo looking forward to now is Russell Wilson. That's the guy, in my opinion. If you're going to do anything, we talked about it last week with the head coaching decision um, as far as candidates we wanted to talk about. Check that out on YouTube, guys, if you get the opportunity to. But Russell Wilson is the quarterback for me going forward. Like, if, if it's not a drafted rookie, Russell Wilson is the guy. And I'd be damn near willing to throw, I don't know, maybe all of next year's draft, Eric. Let's have that conversation, too. <laughs> um, The plan for Denver seems to be Russell Wilson first. Aaron Rodgers second, maybe Matt Ryan afterwards and Kirk Cousins thrown in there. Depending on what happens with the veteran quarterback market, go and signing a Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater type. I know a lot of people are going to be upset about that. And then going after a quarterback in the draft. There is, seems to be a, a very clear intent for a veteran quarterback. And the sense is, is that Russell Wilson is their guy this year that Aaron Rodgers was more of the guy last year because while well, he didn't end up getting traded, there seemed to be more likelihood of a chance of him getting traded yep. than Russell Wilson. And now it seems to be that there's a bit of a, not necessarily a flip there, but a flip of the focus for the Broncos for Russell Wilson, who very well will likely get his wish to get out of Seattle with Pete Carroll likely on his way out, having to make coaching changes there. Depending on what changes they make, though, of course, a bunch of variables in play. They could end up going and go, getting Dan Quinn and Russell Wilson back. Yeah, I'm going to stay with my buddy. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Simmers is Deshaun Watson on the quarterback possibility list. Uh, not right now, not given the legal, the, the legal skirmishes and stuff like that. And quite honestly, I think even with the legal stuff, Miami and Carolina seem to be the two. He wants to be in Miami, from what I understand. Um, but uh, if the legal ramifications are cleared up, by all means, I mean, I'd be more than willing to take a 26-year-old franchise quarterback that's a top-five quarterback in the NFL uh, that wants to come and play in Denver. If that's the situation, by all means, and he's completely cleared of all of the legal stuff, yes, 100%. Um, now, Eric, going back to Russell Wilson really fast. Uh, but 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 he wasn't on the, the the Broncos weren't on the list of teams that he put out that he wanted to go to last year. So why would it be a conversation? Because things change. I mean, Thank one of the you. reasons why he wanted the Las Vegas Raiders was because he wanted to work with John Gruden during Gruden quarterback camp back in what 2012. That was the year, right? Russell Wilson came out. Um, he got really close with John Gruden during that short time filming that, and they exchanged before he got hired with the. Um, with the Raiders, Russell Wilson and him stayed in contact. I mean, he wanted to go play with play with John Gruden because mm -hmm. they had this bond that was there. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, he wanted there. The thing is, is that they now have their quarterback. At the time, Dak Prescott wasn't under contract beyond the franchise tag. That changed. The Saints, they seem to be wanting to stick with Jamie's Winston going forward. We'll see what happens after the season. That may may not be there. Um, Trying to think of who the other teams were that were on his list. Uh, the Chicago Bears was the fourth one. The Chicago Bears, they just took Justin Fields. They're not going to be in on that. Um, so uh, things changed. Like, NFL stands for not for long for multiple reasons. Player careers, what people want, all sorts of stuff. Like, uh, that's I, 
I think the Jets were mentioned in there as well for a little while, but it was all kind of the same thing with Justin Fields. I, I don't remember 100% of it, but, yeah, the, the, the teams that he was willing to uh, to waive his no-trade clause to go to last season all already have their quarterbacks in either – except for the Saints, and that's that's definitely an interesting one. It could be a possibility this year. Um, another thing to take into consideration is look who his wife is, Sierra. She's a famous pop star, and she wants to live in a major market. L.A., Chicago, Miami, New York, Dallas, like the, the big – Houston, the big media markets and stuff like that. Houston could actually be a sneaky one for him, by the way, just to, to throw that one out there. But uh, – Denver wasn't on that list specifically because of that. And I think that a lot of it was his agent leaking to potential, especially Dallas was they don't know what's going to happen with Dak Prescott. Obviously he's had the major ankle injury. They're not sure where he's going to be at next season. Um, But then Dallas invested a massive amount of money into Dak Prescott over the next like four seasons or something like that. It's $160 million, a hundred million guaranteed. Uh, Ridiculous amount of money. Um, but Russell Wilson is probably at this particular point, um, and I know that Aaron Rodgers is still a possibility, but I think at this particular point, Russell Wilson is the most viable option for the Broncos because look at what's going on in Seattle right now. At least the, the Packers are winning. They're, you know, what, number two in the NFC right now. Um, Rodgers is playing great football. Russell Wilson was hurt. He had mallet finger for the last, what, six, eight weeks, something like that. Um, the, the Seahawks are three and seven. They're not a very good football team. Uh, Russell seems to be on his way out, and Denver could definitely be a possibility. So let's yeah. go back to the comment stream really fast, see if I could find something. Um, James Koch would love Wilson, but Denver has 24 open roster spots next year. You're going to give uh, Wilson the massive contract he's going to demand. How does Denver fill the rest of the roster? Just my thinking. Uh, the draft is a big part of that, depending on what you have. Um, and they'll get some, some other uh, lower I mean, level roster guys. So look who they have being available. It's all guys that were you're probably willing to lose, like Teddy Bridgewater, Melvin Gordon, Kyle Fuller, or guys that can be upgraded, like Cameron Fleming. Or um, Brett Jones, Nate Hairston. I mean, 24 roster spots, that's pretty average with what teams face every year. I mean, of the 90-man roster, they pretty consistently face 20 to 25% roster turnover yeah. on a yearly basis. Oh, yeah. And Denver's got plenty of money. With Depending on where the salary cap comes in, with rollover, they could be having upwards of $70 million in cap space. And cap space, too many people focus on that. Um, Denver seems to have found ways to, uh, what's the right word here, to um, restock their cash capital that they have that they're able to use and dive in and dip into. And when you have cash that you can use and spend, it's very easy to work around the cap. Look at the Rams, look at the Chiefs, look yep. at all these other teams. If you have cash, you can work around the cap. Exactly. And that was something I was about to say was um, nobody thought it was possible for the a couple of years ago for the Chiefs to sign Patrick Mahomes to a gigantic deal. She broke records that may never be broken again. Um, Ten years, five hundred million dollars. They made him into half a billion dollar player. Um, they're like, there's no way they can sign him and Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones and get a cornerback brought in and rebuild. the. And guess what they did? They did every single one of those things. They rebuilt the offensive line. They paid Patrick Mahomes a gigantic amount of money, which doesn't actually affect right now for the most part um, because that was more of an extension and he was still on his rookie deal. Um, 
But they, they still got Chris Jones signed to a big money deal. They still got Ty, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and they, they bring in a Josh Gordon type to be able to come in. That was a vet minimum deal, but they have the cash to be able to do that. The, the Hunt family is worth like $15 billion. Like When you have that kind of money to be able to just throw at a player and say, all right, here's a signing bonus. We'll deal with the cap struggles later. That's what you can do. When you have that money, it's easy to be able to work around the salary cap 100%. Uh, Malcolm Brown. Sorry. Real quick, uh, sorry, real quick, just since we're on that topic. Um, he adds, when you add in Suns and Patrick's deal, that is. Um, what their deals added, they still have over $60 million in cap space to work yep. with. Yep. Um, and they can free up more because – Graham Glasgow, he's not going to be on the Broncos with his cap hit last, next year. That's going to add quite a bit more to it. And there's probably going to be a couple other cap casualties next year yeah. um, that we're going to see that helps free up cap saves. Maybe we see Mike Purcell go. Um, maybe we see Mike Boone go. Like There's going to be cap casualties to add to it. Um, $70 million is a conservative approach with it, with how much cap space they're going to have because of rollover. And another way that help with that when you go spend on a big quarterback is having 11 freaking draft picks with five of them in the top 100. Um, worrying about the cap situation with the quarterback is just not something to really do anymore. You can no, work around. And you can always go out and, you know, fill the lower level of the roster with guys that are, you know, that minimum guys, a million dollar, one and a half million dollar signings and stuff like that. Like, like guys like Shamar Steven. Uh, interior defensive lineman that 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 cost the Broncos what I think it was two million dollars a season to to sign him in and bring him in. Mike Boone, another lower level roster guy, one one year one and a half million dollars. He's gone next season. Um, enter in your draft picks that aren't going to count against your top fifty one um, salary cap moving through the off season. So you got some flexibility there as well. Um, but something else that is really key to this Broncos team and the way that they're built right now is they don't have a lot of a, a lot of players on like double digit million dollar contracts. Like that's, a, that's just not a thing. Obviously Garrett Bowles is the highest paid player on the Broncos right now. And I think his cap hit next year is like $20 million, but he's a top five left tackle and he's worth every penny of that. Uh, but they've got, I think it's like seven total guys. And that's including Tim Patrick and uh, Cortland Sutton. Now that seven total guys on the team that are paid more than $10 million a season. So they've got plenty of money. They've got plenty of cap room to work with. And sure. They've, they've only got, I think it's like 30 guys on under contract for next season, but they're going to rebuild with the draft or they can still go get that quarterback. They can bring in a couple of guys, uh, cheaper free agents, fill out the roster that way. And you'll never even know that it was a problem next season when the core of this team especially on the offensive side of the football is already built intact and ready to rock. Like you just got to insert the quarterback and the right offensive scheme. And this could be a top five offense, top three offense in the NFL with the players that they have. So. It's, yeah, it's, and I mentioned him with Graham Glasgow. I mean, he's got a almost $12 million cap hit next year. Mm -hmm. He isn't, he's just not, he's not going to see that. He'll either have to take a pay cut to stay, which is unlikely, or he's going to be let go because it's really starting to seem like that. They want to turn to Quinn Miners at right guard next year like yep it's just not gonna happen um and anyways malcolm it's great to see you in the chat as always i, I gotta give a shout out to my fellow alaskan here it's oh, great yeah. to see you in. um nobody came in with a comment earlier that i wanted to grab about too many variables owner coach oc first then quarterback except that the issue with that is we'll probably get our coach get our OC, get a quarterback, then an owner situation resolved. Um, expectations aren't for the owner situation to be resolved, if it is, until way after the draft. Like, they're talking late May, early June for the ownership situation to be resolved. That's Coach and OC, that's going to be the first couple weeks after 
and well, middle couple weeks in January, I guess, mm-hmm. that we get that resolved maybe early February, and they're going to shift focus to getting a quarterback, trying to get a trade agreed upon before the start of the new league year. So a lot of variables in play, but hey, <clears throat> that- going and getting quarterback going is universal. Doesn't matter who the owner is. Got to have a quarterback to compete. Right. Uh, something that I wanted to add a little bit uh, after the draft, as far as the owner is new to me on that one. Um, but I did know that it, nothing's going to start happening mostly with the ownership conversation until at least March, because litigation is still ongoing with the Edgar Kaiser family. Um, and the litigation, the lawsuit actually goes to um, because Edgar Kaiser, when he when he first sold the Broncos to Pat Bowen back in 1984, um, entered in a clause. It's a right of first refusal clause. Um, if his family was able to buy the Broncos back from the Bolin family, they should have had the right of first refusal to be able to do so. And then came the line of succession through the, the Pat Bolin Trust, uh, getting the kids involved and everything like that. So the Broncos actually have litigation ongoing with the Edgar Kaiser family to uh, do the right of first refusal. That trial of litigation actually happens, I believe, in February. It's after the Super Bowl. I know that. I believe it's in February. But as soon as that litigation is taken care of, um, then the Broncos and can officially, yep. And then it's going to drag forever. Uh, but then after that's all taken care of, um, the Broncos can then it's actually, uh, Joe Ellis and, uh, um, Mary Kelly and the, the, the rest of the, the Pat Bullen trust can then have a conversation of passing the team down to one of, uh, to probably Brittany Bullen or Beth Bullen Wallace, whatever comes out of that, or then selling the team. So, you won't hear about anything ownership wise until at least March. And if I'm wrong on that, guys, please feel free to fact check on that. That's just off the top of my head. I know that there's litigation going with the Kaiser family in February though. So just keep an eye on that. Um, as far as the, the variables else here, as far as coach goes, um, Eric, you're right on that. Um, there's actually could be conversations happening as early as week 15 this season with new things in after the week. Yeah, after, yep, after week 15. Um, if teams have an opening at the head coaching position via firing or if a guy's on the last year of his contract and they're not going to re-up, uh, teams can actually go and do virtual meetings with other candidates on other teams in the middle of the season uh, I as think long it's as actually, the team it's okay. Yeah, it, it, I think it's actually only on like certain days, like Monday and Tuesday yeah. only. You can't have anything it's later it's in certain, the week. It's certain days of the week, it's if they say it's okay, and it's after the week 15 game, as long as you've already either fired your head coach or have made it abundantly clear that he will not be back. Right. So like Matt Nagy in Chicago, who they've there was reports saying that he was going to be fired after Thursday's game. Um, they they made it clear that Matt Nagy's probably not going to be around after the season so they can start having some interviews that they want to. So he should, uh, th- he should have been fired just so that we can say that the history was made because the Bears have never, never fired a head coach during season. Yeah. I, I mean, that's an amazing statistic. Well, I mean, too, plus Matt Nagy's terrible, but yeah. Hey. No. Uh, and yes, Peter, that is an interesting new rule. It, it was something that kind of caught me up, uh, off guard a little bit. And I thought that they went, that the NFL went backwards. Now, um, I didn't think that, I, I never really agreed with um, allowing coaches to be interviewed during the season and especially in the playoffs because of guys like, you know, Eric Bieniemy, um, for example, um, maybe Arthur Smith last year, um, just the guys that, you know, are, are on teams that are currently have playoff games and stuff like that. They should be focused on that. I always thought that the coach hiring process should happen immediately after the Super Bowl and that no interview should have been conducted. However, they went the opposite direction and said, you know, we're going to give you guys more time to interview these candidates, distract them more from what they're currently doing already 
and then hopefully, you know, come to an agreement, a non-actual agreement, uh, whatever you want to, uh, like the, the back door, back alley agreement, handshake, word of mouth kind of thing um, that, you know, John Fox is going to be out on his if he if John Fox gets fired from the Broncos in 2014, he's going to be the next uh, Chicago Bears head coach. Like, and we all remember how that story played out. Uh, John Fox and the Broncos came out in 2014 against the Indianapolis Colts and laid an egg in the divisional round of the playoffs, and they probably could have won a Super Bowl that year. But uh, so I digress well, on that just a little bit. Should, should we put a little bit of blame on Peyton Manning for going up to John Elway and saying either John Fox goes or I go? I didn't know that. That's new information. Oh yeah, that was that was happened before the season was over. Oh wow! Okay. Up, Peyton, it's been pretty well reported. Peyton Manning went up to John Elway and I said, "I'm done. You got to either fire John Fox or I'm or I'm gone." Huh. Um, that's where they made the change. Uh, yep. Wow i I didn't actually know that. That's you know, kudos for the information. I appreciate. I've that. told you um, that like four times, I, dude. I <laughs> apparently I don't remember things, man. I don't remember things. You know what? Since last time that that you told me that, I probably drank beer and slept. So yeah, <laughs> unless you told it to me today, I probably am not going to remember that. Uh, let's see here. EJ jumping in here with some quarterbacks. We got some college quarterbacks here. Let's talk some draft here for a second here, Eric. Uh, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Carson Strong, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell. Bronco, Broncos country needs one of these quarterbacks in the draft. I'm going to start off here really fast. Um, I'm not necessarily huge on Malik Willis, but I'm grow- coming around quickly. Um, I think that there's still some more refinement as far as a passer is concerned with him. Um <laughs> Watch his last few weeks. You'll fall right off Malik Willis again. Uh, okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. I, and I appreciate that. Uh, Matt Corral is an interesting one. Um, something that he needs to do is start uh, trusting his arm more. And I think that Lane Kiffin's not necessarily doing him the, the biggest of favors. Uh, they're they're making him run a lot. He ran – it was a couple of weeks ago. I think he ran like 32 times in a game for 165 yards and two touchdowns. He threw the ball like 12 times. Like, so that's an, that's a, that's an issue to me. It, it like, use your, use your arm, trust your arm, trust your arm talent, uh, make the throws that you need to and prove that you can actually do that. Um, and that's just a small sample. I'm not trying to make that like the be all end all about Matt Corral. I do like him. I think that he probably is the best quarterback in this class, but at the same time, I still got to see some more growth as, as far as the pass was concerned. Uh, Carson Strong is a statue, but not really a statue. If you really say that about him, you're you're probably lying that you don't necessarily see that he can actually move. That's just not a strong suit. He's not a big mobile guy. He can move around. He's not, he's not mobile. He maneuvers. Yes, exactly. Um, he's not a guy that's going to take off and run. He can manipulate the pocket a little bit, uh, maneuver himself around. He take off and run every now and again, but it's not like a guy like Matt Corral who's just going to, you know, one, two, gone. You know, and that's another issue with Matt Corral. Uh, Kenny Pickett reminds me of Kirk Cousins, only he's got a lesser arm and more accuracy. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a Kenny Pickett fan by any stretch of the imagination. There's a reason why that there's many people referring to him as Kenny Two Gloves. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's that's a that's a good point. Uh, Desmond Ritter, I know, is a guy that Eric is really high on. Uh, or at least was mm. there for a while. I don't know what your grade is on him now, but <laughs> last year, I remember specifically, uh, if there's a quarterback to watch in this class, the, in the 2022 class, that, that would be a riser, that would be a guy to watch for, and I would like to have on the Broncos. You did say this multiple times, it was Desmond Ritter. That was a while ago. So now let me uh, hear your opinion on Desmond Ritter as of now. Oh, I, I still like him. I don't love him. He's still like a late round two early round three guy for me because of the tools but his placement can be very problematic he's showing growth the last few games i like the athletic ability 
the ability to use his legs to be a versatile offensive weapon as well as a quarterback. But it just comes down to that the placement and the accuracy. I want to see more consistency than I have um, beyond just the last few games. Um, but he's a guy that I was hoping to see more growth from, but he's kind of showing more regression since his freshman year, taking small steps back, which is something that really bothers me. Um, he's basically been doing the opposite of Malik Willis. Malik Willis was starting to look really good there for a while, and then he's starting to fall off. Um, Matt Corral, the issue with him for me is that offense is quite easy and doesn't translate well to the NFL. Gives him very simple, easy reads, and that can be pretty pretty problematic. And it's, for me, without being a chance to interview him and talk to him and everything like that, it makes it hard to really gauge how high of a football IQ he has. I just have to go off a of word, and word typically is always, yeah, he's got a high football IQ. I mean, that was one big thing with Paxton Lynch that we heard a lot was, oh, yeah, he's got a high football IQ. And his coaches kept saying that he's got a high, hard work ethic. And then we also have to factor in the Paxton Lynch effect of once you get drafted and you get this money, how much focus are you going to go to continuing yeah. to improve your game instead of just wanting to play on Madden where you can make yourself the starter? Carson Strong, you got to worry about his knee. He's had three surgeries on his knee since high school. Oh, I forgot about that, yep. It's a pretty big concern for him, especially with the lack of mobility. He got hurt and left the game for a little bit the last week, I believe it was. Um, and his knee was a little bit bothersome and that concerns some people. And then Sam Howell, he's Baker Mayfield-esque. He's, and I think that after you'll get your the same high kind of ish kind of plays that you get from Baker Mayfield, and you'll get the same kind of lows. Um his arms all right, not the greatest, not the worst, decent athlete, like very reminds me very much of Baker Mayfield. Um, honestly, like I wouldn't mind taking a shot on one of these guys that they're in the second round. I wouldn't take one in the first, really. Maybe Matt Corral, if it's somewhere after the top 15 picks, I'd take the risk, but I have a feeling that he's probably gonna go top 10. And I think that Kenny Pickett will probably go in the top 10 and that is way or top 15. And that is way too high for me for Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Uh, personally at this moment, obviously yep. some things can't change over the next few months. Um, but yeah, any of the other guys, if they're in the second round, I take it, but I would be more than willing if they don't show the growth that I need to, to turn around, take another quarterback next year, because next year's 2023 <laughs> class looks <laughs> ridiculously good. Yeah, um, CJ Stroud, Caleb Williams, um, Casey Thompson from Texas. They've got uh, Bryce Young in there as well. Like, it, remember we were talking about the, uh, the last year's draft class, the 2020 class with Trevor Lawrence. There's not a Trevor Lawrence for sure, but um, now, but, but sorry, to, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Peters. Okay, no second rounder becomes a franchise quarterback. Um, I, I really hate comments like this because it's the same thing of like, oh, no Ohio State quarterback is in the NFL. All it takes is one. All it I, takes is one. I, can um, argue. I, I mean, can, I, what? Texas A&M, like, they never really produced a quarterback. Well, here's Patrick Mahomes. Like, we can say we can say this about so many things. The For the longest time, Michigan State couldn't produce a defensive lineman, and we have Malik McDowell really tearing it up in the NFL this year. All it takes is one. I mean, I, I just hate that. Well, Don't that, That's just not how it works. And... I mean, even though it wasn't what the team would draft them, Drew Brees kind of came one. Yeah, the, Drew wasn't Brees didn't draft them. But how about how about this one? Guys playing at a oh, top Texas five Tech. level. Sorry, thank you, Scott. Texas Tech for Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, just wrong. But, but how how about a guy that's playing in the AFC West right now down in Vegas? 
He was a second round pick. Derek Carr was a second round pick, guys. And he is a top five quarterback in the NFL this season. He's playing at an MVP level. Like the guy's are phenomenal. The team around him sucks and they can't get it. Like, I wish someone would save Derek Carr. I love this guy. I and everyone should know this by now. If you've ever watched Dove Valley Deep Divers, I say that Derek Carr gets way more hate than he has ever deserved in his entire life. He is a top when he's playing well. This is the cap. When he is playing well, he is capable of being a top 10 quarterback, and you're seeing it this year. That's the second round pick. Like yeah. to say that no second rounder becomes a franchise quarterback. Uh, I mean, Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick, and he's yeah. been a, a, a high quality starter, franchise level quarterback for two different teams. Uh, it, it happens. And you're not wrong to say that the data su- suggests that's unlikely, but that's unlikely, and it's still worth taking a shot for the most important position in the in the NFL. Like, I mean, and uh, Scott and Seth's group in the chat. I mean. It's really, really hard. Size, you can prove any point. It's really hard to hit on a quarterback, period, outside of the top 16. It's extremely unlikely. Yep. It's extremely unlikely to take to hit on a quarterback in the sixth round. But look at Tim, like, look at Tom Brady. I mean, I, all it takes is one. Things are unlikely, but still possible. And that's what that's the thing. That's the, that was with one of the key things with what I said was if they're not showing it, then you got to be willing to turn around and take quarterback next year, too. Because you can't sit there and just completely put all your eggs into this basket of the second round pick. No, you got to be able to go and, um, and and take that risk and then go and mitigate that risk. That yep. that's the that's the point for it. And so, Peter, with that, I mean, you're saying you'd keep to the data though. So, are you just taking a quarterback period in the top sixteen only? Because that that suggests, I mean, that's only like a 35, 30 to thirty five percent chance to hit on a quarterback in the top sixteen, and that's the highest. Yeah. Uh, find, the so you're only taking one top 16. Finding a quarterback is the most difficult thing to do in sports, guys. It's why there's only 32 of them technically. And it's not even that. It's more like 20 people in the entire planet. 7.2 billion people live on planet Earth. And there might be more people and whatever in the universe if you want to talk to that discussion. But guess what? There's only 20 people in the universe right now that we know of that are capable of playing franchise quarterback at the NFL level at a high level. And when you get down to the the, the 20s, you're talking about guys that are starting to hit replacement level anyways. Finding a quarterback is incredibly difficult. And if you're lucky enough to be able to do so, kudos to you, man. Like there's, there's no perfect art to finding a quarterback. There's no perfect art to scouting in general anyways. Like, we can, we can go and spin around and, and, and make a long discussion out of this. But, again, there's 20 people in the world that know how to play franchise quarterback at a high level. It's just not going to happen. Um, Scott actually has a good point here. I'm going to grab this for Scott. Uh, he put it up on Facebook. If you like a guy, you trust your scouting report. But if you need a quarterback, don't go in planning on getting your guy after the first round. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. If you, if you like a guy, do everything you need to do to go and get him. But if you don't like a guy that like George Payton apparently didn't like Justin Fields, don't take him. Take the guy that you do like. They like Pastor Tan more than they like Justin Fields. That's where the Broncos went. And but, well, I disagree with that. But at the same time, like that's that's quality team building. You need to have the quarterback Peter, first, though. Peter, it's not over a random chance. That's the thing, though. It's un it's unlikely, but it's still a possibility. It's not a random chance there. There's a percentage for it, and I think it's like. 16 to 32 is like 25%. And then second round is like, right. Like 18%. I mean, is you got to, you trust your scouting report. 
you take that shot because that's a flyer we're taking on the most important quarterback, most important position in all of sports is the quarterback position. You take that shot. That's what I'm saying. If it doesn't work out, then you mitigate that risk by taking going after another guy the following year. You don't stick with that guy beyond that point because all you're doing is compounding the issue with that. that, That's the, that's the point I'm making here. I mean, if one's there in the second round, they're worth it, especially in this quarterback class because they all have potential. They all have upside. It's just not none of them are worth taking on the top 16. So if you're going to sit there and say that you're going to bet on that 30 plus percent chance for a top 16 only. So are you going to reach for one of those quarterbacks? Because if you reach for a quarterback, then you're just doing it. Just you're drastically lowering your chances of making that a hit because you're taking a guy who shouldn't be taken where you are and passing up on better players, which is increasing how good they have to be to overcome that loss. Yep. Yep. Hopefully that made sense. It, it, no, it, it made sense to me. And, and Peter, dude, we're not trying to come at you, dude. So don't don't do no. like that. You know, we love you, dude. Uh, over in Cambodia, you're our dude. Like you have been a huge supporter of the show. We're not coming at you. Just want to open up a conversation here. So, yeah. um, and thank you for that. Thank you for having a, the, a fun. It was a great way. To, it was a great way to end, end the show, really. Yeah, absolutely. I want to do. I do want to grab this question from James Koch really fast. Uh, hypothetically, what's the better signing, Russell Wilson at forty-five to fifty per year, or Kirk, or Kirk Cousins at thirty-five to forty per year? I think that the answer to this question should be relatively easy. And Russell Wilson is a much better quarterback than Kirk Cousins. Uh, Russell Wilson is arguably a top seven quarterback in the NFL, if not a top five quarterback in the NFL and Kirk Cousins quite honestly we're going back to the 20 quarterbacks in the NFL or in the world that are capable of playing at the NFL level Kirk Cousins is like number 16 on that list like he's just barely capable of being a quality franchise quarterback and that's saying something so I please do and I'll I'll take the extra 10 million dollars a season if that's what it is for Russell Wilson especially at 33 years old and with the ability to move around, his mobility, um, his his creativity, the arm strength. He's got a baseball arm. That's actually kind of where I coined the term a long time ago. Um, a quarterback having a baseball arm, a guy that can make throws off of multiple different platforms with arm strength and uh, accuracy um, because he used to be a baseball player. He was a second baseman for the Colorado Rockies there for a while, technically. But, uh, yeah, uh, Russell Wilson at 45 to 50 per year. Uh, Eric, what do you think about that? Mm, yeah, Wilson. Uh, we got a quick super chat here from Dennis Woods before. Oh, sorry about that. Let me grab that really fast. Uh, jumping in here. Uh, why wouldn't we try to get Wilson or Rogers and then get our quarterback in uh, 2023? That opens the 2022 draft to get an edge right tackle or another need. Um, Eric, go ahead first. I got some thoughts on this though. I mean, just to wrap it up quickly, it's and um, Scott actually posted a thing. You're giving up your first round pick if you're going to go get Ross, uh, Wilson or Rogers this year. Um, you'll probably end up giving one of the two second and one of the two third round picks as well. So you would go from having five for, um, top 100 picks, only two. You can still use those to help get you other um, positions of need. Um, but that's for me, that's all the more reason to go get one of those guys and not take quarterback this year. Use them to build up the roster, see how they do. Prime more so with Rodgers go after that quarterback in 2023, yeah, and over Wilson. Um, but I mean, that's all the more reason. Like, if you get Wilson or Rodgers, go build up the roster, yep. Um, especially with, I mean, without with with how this class is, and honestly, with looking at the projected classes for next year, I'd be willing to give up a few more picks this year if I if I could keep future picks. 
Yeah, and that uh, that's a really fun conversation. Um, and Eric, you actually hit pretty much everything that I wanted to say on that. Uh, as far as you know, if you're if you're trading for Russell Wilson this year, you're giving up a first, probably both seconds, probably both thirds, uh, and then maybe a one, two, three next year, or maybe a one, two next year, something like that. Um, you're going to need a lot of capital. You're going to need uh, a lot of draft picks, maybe even some players off the current roster you have right now just to get him. So getting one of these premier edge rushers like a George Kaloftis, um, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who's probably out of the Broncos reach regardless, um, Aiden Hutchinson, um, uh, David Ojabo from Michigan. Both those Michigan edges are tremendous, by the way. I love David Ojabo. Um, but uh, – yeah, you're, you're not going to get an opportunity at, at a guy like that. So you're looking for the second, third round guys. And quite honestly, you might be hoping that Jonathan Cooper takes the next step forward as, as far as a run defender goes, because he's shown the chops of being a high quality pass rusher. Like he's he's getting getting home pretty quickly. He doesn't quite get home all the way, but he's showing instant instantaneous pass pressure. So, yeah, I mean, there's um, there, there's a lot that goes into that. But uh, I, I don't disagree with the premise behind your point. Peter Middleton jumping in here. Last comment before we get out of here, guys. A great show. Love the show. As people, uh, we can disagree, but have a good debate. Uh, whatever happens, I hope we find a quarterback. And Peter, I'm right there with you. And I know that Eric is as well. But guys, um, I will, I will say is like I don't fully disagree with your point. Um, I do think if you're really looking for a franchise quarterback, then you're going and you're taking one in the top 16. My point is, is that, like it's a lottery ticket in the second round. Trying to hit on that, I wouldn't mind taking quarterback. That that's my my point. That's where I disagree with you on. I wouldn't mind taking that shot as long as you don't compound that mistake with a future choice. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I will say, and uh, this goes back to the Ted Thompson philosophy of drafting. Uh, even if you have a franchise quarterback already, you always draft, draft quarterback, quarterback every year. Draft quarterback every single year. Doesn't matter what round it is. Uh, if you have a franchise quarterback, don't pull a Green Bay Packers and draft a, a Jordan Love in the first round when you need some playmakers to help the quarterback that you currently have, because that's probably going to piss him off and then just make him decide that he doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, that's just a little food for thought on that one. But uh, every single year, you, you find a guy that you like, a developmental guy, um, may even be a, a seventh-round pick. You always, always, always draft a quarterback every single year because you never know. It all, like Eric said earlier, it only takes one. There's only one guy that's going to be the next Tom Brady, the next six-round pick that turns into a franchise quarterback, turns into the greatest of all time. Like It's probably not maybe you can move to pick off of Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Maybe exactly. you can move picks. Maybe that seventh round pick looks really good in the preseason, and you can go get a second and third, or he has a couple good games in the regular season, and you can go get a couple great picks for him, like you know, the Eagles did with Kevin Kolb, the Patriots did Matt a couple Flynn. times. With, Matt, like, Flynn. Matt Flynn. Yeah, Matt Flynn got signed to a gigantic contract up in, in Seattle. Got beat out by the third round quarterback that they drafted in Russell Wilson. Um, but uh, the, the Green Bay Packers, based on the the, the contract that. Uh, um, Matt Flynn signed, got a third round comp pick. Matt Flynn was like a fifth round pick. Like it was it, it, just a backup quarterback that somebody fell in love with because he had a 500 yard, five touchdown passing game in week 17 when the Packers were already clinched in the playoffs. And everyone's like, that's the next franchise quarterback. Here, let's throw a ton of money at him. It happens all the time. Like you draft a quarterback. Matt Castle, yeah. Yep. Matt Castle, there's another one. Yep. Uh, I'll so always take a quarterback. Yep. You take a quarterback every single year and it doesn't matter what round it is. Every single year you take a stab on a quarterback because you never know what might happen. He could turn out to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, but with that guys, thank you all for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I got a heartfelt thank you to every single one of you guys being it is Thanksgiving yesterday. Um, super thankful to, for what we do, um, being able to cover the Broncos, talk some football with you guys and have you guys join us every single Friday night at six o'clock. Um, again, guys, follow us on Twitter by finding me at Sanderson MHH. 
page for Eric at Eric Trickle. Scott, I'm going to take the controls here for a second. And also shout out to Scott Kennedy uh, behind the glass, running the ones and twos at Scout Kennedy. Make sure you guys get at him on, uh, on the Twit machine as well. Um, Guys, uh, at DVDV underscore pod, that's where you're going to find out our topic for every single week. We'll throw some takes on there every now and again. Not very often, but you might be able to see something like that from us. Uh, Also, guys, at Mile High Huddle, that's the mother account. That's where you're going to get breaking Broncos news and analysis, including film uh, film breakdowns, opinion articles, um, anything news related to the Denver Broncos. That's where you're going to find it, at Mile High Huddle. Uh, Facebook supporters, make sure you go to facebook.com slash mile high huddle. Click that blue McCubbin supporter button where you can get some premium content like the trickle zone, which airs every single Monday, I believe at noon, right, Eric? Um, well, let's see here. <laughs> uh, one mountain time. What, Sorry, one, uh, I had to do the math because I know what time it is here. And then, yeah. So anyways, so, so what, what do you, what do you got on the trickle zone this week, buddy? This reaction to the Chargers game? Probably. Okay. <laughs> That's probably what it'll be. Hopefully, gotcha. I'll be back this week. Had to cancel yeah. this last week because I was sick and the week before because my daughter was sick. Hopefully, I'll be back this year. Hopefully, I'm feeling good enough. Hopefully, my daughter's feeling good enough. Yeah. Anyways, uh, facebook.com slash mile high huddle. That blue become a supporter button. You're going to get trickle zone. You're going to get Kelberman's corner. You're going to get Brocco's book club with Chad Jensen as well. Um, that's the easiest way to get to that kind of stuff. Uh, folks, if you're financially able to do so, and uh, you, you really love the shows, you want to show some support, maybe help, you know, spread the word just a little bit. Uh, head on over to huddleuppod.com. That's the merch tent guys. We're going to do a big merch giveaway. Um, some care packages to a handful of, uh, stars donators on Facebook at the end of this month um, for people that donated any, anybody that donated stars from uh, the 17th of November uh, all the way through the end of the month. Um, we're going to be doing a, a giveaway. I'm not sure exactly how many, but I know it's a handful of people. We're going to get some, some free, uh, some free merch from the, uh, from the merch set. Huddleuppod.com guys. It's where you're going to need yourself a hat. There's a t-shirt, a face mask, coffee cup. Uh, you've got the Broncos for breakfast coffee cup. that seems to be getting a lot of momentum right now. I know Mark Lindemood said earlier he needed to get one of those. Um, there's a onesie for your baby, something for the guys, something for the gals, anything to suit your fancy. That's where you're going to get it. And guys, if you're not financially able to do so, you don't want to, you know, become a supporter and, and subscribe or whatever, like, you know, pay a subscription to something like that. It's, it's not your bag, whatever. That's fine. You should be doing these three things. Everybody should be by this point. Subscribe wherever you guys are watching this, whether it's on YouTube, especially on Facebook, on Twitter, Twitch, um, Apple Podcasts. It doesn't matter. If you're listening to this after the fact, thank you all for for, uh, downloading and subscribing as well. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Like every single video you guys see, especially on Twitter and, and on Facebook. That helps out tremendously. And if you love it, Share it, guys. Get it out in front of as many Broncos fans as possible because that is the most organic way you can help grow every single one of the shows, including the Huddle Up podcast, uh, Building Broncos, Broncos for Breakfast, and Mile High Insiders. If you if you share it out in front of as many Broncos fans as possible, we can do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, with that, Eric, sorry for getting long-winded there for a second, but before we get out of here, man, any last words? Yeah, I saw a question there about worse, if we could name three quarterback rooms that are worse than Denver. Um, Looking at just where they are now, I could probably name five to ten. Houston, Detroit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Giants, Carolina. I'd make Ooh. the argument for Miami, a Washington football team. I, uh, I I would make an argument that the Giants might be in a better spot. Daniel Jones isn't great, but he's still better than what the Broncos have right now. And it's based oh, no, on he's not. Oh, no, he's not. Oh, no, get out of here. End, this, end the broadcast. End the broadcast. <laughs> no, no, no. It's based on the athleticism and the fact he can use his legs to extensive plays, and he actually does a really good job running the football. And that's the only reason why. 
Yeah, except he's terrible. He is terrible. Yeah, I'm, 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 exactly. He's he's terrible. But I would say that because at least at, at, like Teddy Bridgewater is not a guy that's going to take off and run. At least Daniel Jones will do that. He will use his legs to to make some and play. fumble. Yes, and then he does that too. Okay, all right. You're fine. Fine. You got it. You you got me again. You got me again. I just wanted to make a quick point there. But anyways, guys, uh, with that, thank you all for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. Also, guys, uh, milehighhuddle.com, the Mile High Huddle roundtable piece, all of our staff predictions. By the way, me, this guy right here, the Dove Valley Deep Divers hat, Lance Sanderson. Yeah, I'm the only one that picked the Broncos to win. So make sure you guys get at everybody on the Twitter on their Twitter accounts and tell them how much they suck for not picking the Broncos because uh, that's me. Milehighhuddle.com. Check out the roundtable piece. Uh, you all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, go Broncos. We'll see you guys next week, same time, same place. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.